Drama Revival, which was dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And as we enter spring here, 2013, uh, we just got dumped on with snow in Maine, but, uh, you know, that's a, just a good time to reflect about the tragedy of life, uh, which is what brings us to the conclusion of the three-week series we have been featuring, Oedipus the King by Chatterbox Audio Theater. It's an adaptation of the Ian Johnston translation of the Greek classic Oedipus. Um, uh, the This kingdom of Thebes is in disarray. The king is dead, and there is a truth about the sun, Oedipus that leads to his uh, not not great outcome, as <laughs> we're about to learn, uh, to say the least here, Oedipus the King. Um, I've also heard that if this is a little bit of a downer, there's also an Oedipus text, which uh, brings the lighter side of patricide in Oedipus text. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so that's by our friends at Chatterbox Audio Theater. Uh, coming up to just one moment, um, I do want to say one more time. Uh, well, actually, the, the exciting part is that the show we've been uh, uh, pumping up for the last few weeks, Neverwhere, is now available in its entirety through the BBC. And BBC seems to be uh, turning the iPlayer's usual one-week download limit off, um, so you have some time, but I wouldn't waste any time getting to the BBC to see um, Neverwhere, or listen to Neverwhere, rather. It is just a fantastic show. It is the kind of show that, as a writer, as well as a producer for radio drama, sets a new standard, sets, you know, something, you know, there's a thing that they they often say about authors that you either write something because you, you read something and think you can do better, or you read something and think, wow, I wish I could write something this good. And to me, that is what Neverwhere is all about and is an example of how good radio drama can be with all the right resources, with a great director like Dirk Maggs, with an outstanding cast, um, James McAvoy, Benedict Cumberbatch, and many more. Even Sir Christopher Lee makes an appearance, and of course you got the fantastic text by Neil Gaiman. Of course, I'm a little biased because Neil Gaiman is one of my favorite authors, but I, I think it speaks to what uh, putting all the best elements together can do for radio drama, uh, both you know, this the final product is absolutely spectacular. Um, but what's also really exciting is that you have a show that um, people are talking about. It's getting people into radio drama um, who are stumbling across this for the first time, who are, uh, you know, wandering the internet, who are fans of Neil Gaiman, who are fans of these actors, um, who are discovering radio drama for the first time. And that's uh, tremendously encouraging just in terms of the future vitality of the medium. It's not like people aren't interested in radio plays. Uh, there's just some some missing element of, of promotion, of uh locking into something that people uh, can, can really grasp to and have the, the, you know, the shareability of social media makes this a really exciting moment. Um, maybe, you know, certainly Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, you know, Dirk's project was absolutely amazing. He did such a great job with the new Hitchhiker books. Uh, but the internet has changed quite a lot uh, since then. Um, you know, the internet was not much to speak of when that first set was made. Uh, today, we see, you know, someone's telling me there's going to be a Neil fail or something when he puts out the link, meaning that um, they're wondering if the BBC is going to crash if all of Neil Gaiman's followers go to it, which that didn't happen. Twitter is kind of a still still a new new phenomenon here, only like seven years old. So, you know, it is a really exciting moment, I think, for radio drama. Um, and I hope that the BBC sees a huge amount of success from Neverwhere and is encouraged to make more productions like it, um, take on other uh, well-known authors and, uh, you know, do a good job with it. Um, that would certainly make me excited, I would, both as a listener and as a enthusiast and producer of radio drama. So um, with that, uh, I will give you a, a, a little sample. Uh, now that the show has been released, I can give you, um, you know, a, a sort of a fair use chunk here. 
Uh, this is the first five minutes, just a very introduction to the first episode, um, and I'll have the link on where to find this on the BBC's website. Um, you can I mean, you can search just BBC Neverwhere in Google, um, or you can find, find the direct link at radiodramarevival.com. Again, these are the intro five minutes to Neverwhere. The monastery, he said. It said it was hot, he said. And it's rain, Mr. Croup. Rain. That, Mr. Vandermaar, is going to be a very fine conflagration. When it conflagrates. Although I doubt that any of the inhabitants are in a position entirely to appreciate it. Well, because of being dead. <laughs> because, as you so wisely point out, of being dead. Battle of lamp oil. <laughs> Somebody not dead. <laughs> is now. Our work here is done, Mr. Vandermar. What's next? 500 years north from here, London. Kill people? Oh, yes. I certainly think I can guarantee that. Yeah, it won't be a minute. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, laddie, you can't stay there. They'll move you on or take you in. Trust me, I know. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not begging. I just came out for there. It's my leaving party in there, you see. Got a present and everything. Oh, that is a very white umbrella. Huh? What's it say on it? It's a map, I think. Oh, no, look, it's the London Underground. It's nice. Oh, London, I've been there. Hey, give me your hand. Uh, I'll no. tell you a fortune. No, no, I haven't got any chance. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, you have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, I said London. Not just London, not the London I know. Oh, here we go, rain. Take the umbrella. Are you sure? Aye. Ah, it doesn't really suit me anyway. Not for a big job in the city. You've got a good heart. Sometimes that's enough to see you safe wherever you go. But mostly it's not. It starts with doors. I'd watch out for doors if I were you. Right, great. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Episode 1. London Below. Yes, folks, that good. That is the intro to Neverwhere. Um, first five minutes introducing us to the crazy world of London Above, London Below, Neverwhere, BBC, Radio Drama by Dirk Maggs. Um, of course, the story by Neil Gaiman and a fantastic cast. Uh, the Radio Drama Not to Miss this year. Of course, I can't play it because it's BBC. So you can go to it, though, at the BBC's website. Um, uh, again, radiodramarevival.com will have the link or Google Neverwhere Radio Drama 
and I'm sure you'll find it. Um, all right, um, on to the show that we are licensed to play today and that we're very excited to give to you. This is the conclusion of Oedipus the King by Chatterbox Audio Theater. Chatterbox uh, trying to bring community theater to the world uh, using their uh, the, the art of audio theater, using the, dis- the, the global distribution network, um, while also being uh, very true to their Memphis roots. Um, they're doing great stuff in the community and great stuff for listeners like you and me. Uh, here is the conclusion of Oedipus the King. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Oedipus the King by Sophocles, translated by Ian Johnston. Act 3. If I have any power of prophecy or skill in knowing things, then by the Olympian deities, you, Sithiron, at tomorrow's moon, will surely know that Oedipus pays tribute to you as his native land, both as his mother and his nurse, and that our choral dance and song acknowledge you because you are so pleasing to our king. O Phoebus, we cry out to you. May our song fill you with delight. Who gave birth to you, my child? Which one of the immortal gods bore you to your father Pan, who roams the mountainsides? Was it some daughter of Apollo, the god who loves all country fields? Perhaps Selene's royal king? Or was it the Bacchanalian god dwelling on the mountaintops who took you as a newborn joy from maiden nymphs of Helicon, with whom he often romps and plays? You elders! Although I've never seen the woman we've been looking for a long time now, if I had to guess, I think I see her. She's coming here. She looks very old, as is appropriate, if she's the one. And I know the people coming with her, servants of mine. But if you've seen her before, you'll recognize her better than I will. Yes, I recognize the woman. There's no doubt. She worked for Laius, a trusty shepherd. Stranger from Corinth, let me first ask you, is this the woman you mentioned? Yes, she is. She's the woman you see in front of you. You old woman, over here. (gasps) Look at me. Now, answer what I ask. Some time ago, did you work for Laius? Yes, as a slave, but I was not bought. I grew up in his house. How did you live? What was the work you did? Most of my life I've spent looking after sheep. Where? In what particular areas? On Sithiron or the neighboring lands. Do you know if you came across this man anywhere up there? Doing what? What man do you mean? The man over here, this one. Have you ever run into him? Right now, I I can't say I remember him. My lord, that's surely not surprising. Let me refresh your failing memory. I think she will remember all too well the time we spent around Sithiron. She had two flocks of sheep and I had one. I was with her there for six months at a stretch from early spring until the autumn season. In winter, I'd drive my sheep down to my folds, and she'd take hers to pens that Lias owned. Isn't that what happened? What I've just said? You spoke the truth, but it was long ago. All right, then. Now, tell me if you recall how you gave me a child, an infant boy, for me to raise as my own foster son. What? Why ask about that? This man here, my friend was that young child back then. Damn you! Can't you keep quiet about it? Hold on, old woman, don't criticize him. What you have said is more objectionable than his account. My 
My noble master, what have I done wrong? You did not tell us of that infant boy, the one he asked about. That's what he says, but he knows nothing. A useless busybody. If you won't tell us of your own free will. Once we start to hurt you, you will talk. By all the gods, don't torture an old woman. One of you there. Tie up this woman's hands. <laughs> Why are you doing this? It's too much for me. What is it you want to know? That child he mentioned. Did you give it to him? I did. Oh, I wish I died that day. You're going to die if you don't speak the truth. And if I do, there's an even greater chance that I'll be killed. It seems to me the woman is trying to stall. No, no, I'm not. I've already told you. I did give him the child. Where did you get it? Did it come from your home or somewhere else? It was not mine. I got it from someone. Which of our citizens? Whose home was it? In the name of the gods, my lord, don't ask. Please, no more questions. If I have to ask again, then you will die. The child was born in Lias's house. From a slave or from some relative of his? Alas, what I'm about to say now, it's horrible. And I'm about to hear it. But nonetheless... I have to know this. If you must know, they said the child was his. But your wife inside the palace is the one who could best tell you what was going on. You mean she gave the child to you? Yes, my lord. Why did she do that? So I would kill it. That wretched woman was the mother? Yes. She was afraid of dreadful prophecies. What sort of prophecies? The story went that he would kill his father. If that was true, why did you give the child to this old man? I pitied the boy, master, and I thought he'd take the child off to a foreign land where he was from. But he rescued him only to save him for the greatest grief of all. For if you're the one this man says you are, you know your birth carried an awful fate. <sighs> so it all came true. It's all so clear now. Oh, light. Let me look at you one final time. A man who stands revealed is cursed by birth, cursed by my own family, and cursed by murder where I should not kill. O oh, generations of mortal men, how I count your life as scarcely living. What man is there, what human being, who attains a greater happiness than mere appearances? A joy which seems to fade away to nothing. Poor wretched Oedipus, your faith stands here to demonstrate for me how no mortal man is ever blessed. Here was a man who fired his arrows well. His skill was matchless, and he won the highest happiness in everything. For Zeus, he slaughtered the hook-talon sphinx and stilled her cryptic song. 
For our state, he stood there like a tower against death, and from that moment, Oedipus, we have called you our king and honored you above all other men, the one who rules in mighty Thebes. But now, who is there whose story is more terrible to hear, whose life has been so changed by trouble, by such ferocious agonies? Alas for celebrated Oedipus, the same spacious place of refuge served you both as child and father, the place you entered as a new bridegroom. How could the furrow where your father planted, poor wretched man, have tolerated you in such silence for so long? Time which watches everything and uncovered you against your will, now sits in judgment of that fatal marriage, where child and parent have been joined so long. Oh, child of Laius, how I wish I'd never seen you! Now I wail like one whose mouth pours forth laments! To tell it right, it was through you I found my life and breathed again, and then through you my eyesight failed. Oh, you most honored citizens of Thebes, what actions you will hear about and see, what sorrows you will bear if, as natives here, you are still loyal to the house of Labdicus. I do not think the Ister or the Phosis rivers could cleanse this house. It conceals too much and soon will bring to light the vilest things, brought on by choice and not by accident. What we do to ourselves brings us most pain. The calamities we knew about before were hard enough to bear. What can you say to make them worse? I'll waste no words. Know this. Noble Jocasta, our queen, is dead. That poor unhappy lady. How did she die? She killed herself. You did not see it, so you'll be spared the worst of what went on. But from what I recall of what I saw, you'll learn how that poor woman suffered. She left here, frantic, and rushed inside, fingers on both hands, clenched in her hair. She ran through the hall, straight to her marriage bed. She went in, slamming both doors shut behind her, and crying out to Laius, who's been a corpse a long time now. She was remembering that child of theirs born many years ago, the one who killed his father, who left her to conceive cursed children with that son. She lay moaning by the bed where she... Poor woman had given birth twice over. A husband from a husband, children from a child. How she died after that, I don't fully know. With a scream, Oedipus came bursting in, which did not let us see her suffering, her final pain. We watched him charge around, back and forth. As he moved, he kept asking us to give him a sword. As he tried to find that wife who was no wife whose mother's womb had given birth to him and to his children. As he raved, some immortal power led him on. No human in the room came close to him. With a dreadful howl, as if someone had pushed him, he leapt at the double doors, bent the bolts by force out of their sockets, and burst into the room. Then we saw her. She was hanging there, swaying with twisted cords roped round her neck. When Oedipus saw her, with a dreadful groan, he took her body out of the noose in which she hung. And then, when the poor woman was lying on the ground, what happened next was a horrific sight. 
From her clothes, he ripped the golden brooches she wore as ornaments, raised them high, and drove them deep into his eyeballs, crying as he did so. You will no longer see all those atrocious things I suffered, the dreadful things I did. No, you have seen those you never should have looked upon, and those I wished to know you did not see. So now, and for all future time, be dark! With these words, he raised his hand and struck, not once, but many times, right in the sockets. With every blow, blood spurted from his eyes, down on his beard, and not in single drops, but showers of dark blood spattered like hail. So, what these two have done has overwhelmed not one alone. This disaster swallows up a man and wife together. That old happiness they had before in their rich ancestry was truly joy. But now, lament and ruin, death and shame, and all calamities which men can name are theirs to keep. And has that suffering man found some relief to ease his pain? He shouts at everyone to open up the gates and thus reveal to all Cadmians his father's killer, his mother's... But I must not say those words. He wants them to cast him out of Thebes, so the curse he laid will not come on this house if he still lives inside. But he is weak and needs someone to lead him on his way. His agony is more than he can bear, as he will show you, for on the palace doors the bolts are being pulled back... Soon you will see a sight which even a man filled with disgust would have to pity. An awful fate for human eyes to witness. It's an appalling sight. The worst I've ever seen. Oh, you poor man. What madness came on you? What eternal force pounced on your life and, springing further than the longest leap, brought you this awful doom? Alas. Alas, you unhappy man. I cannot look at you. I want to ask you many things. There's much I wish to learn. You fill me with such horror, yet there is so much I must see. Alas. Alas. How miserable I am. Such wretchedness. Where do I go? How can the wings of air sweep up my voice? Oh, my destiny. How far you have sprung now. To a fearful place from which men turn away. A place they hate to look upon. Oh, the dark horror wrapped around me. This nameless visitor I can't resist. Swept here by fair and fatal winds. Alas for me! And yet again, alas for me! The agony of stabbing brooches pierces me! The memory of aching shame! In your distress, it's not astonishing you bear a double load of suffering, a double load of pain. My friends, so you still care for me as always, and with patience nurse me now I'm blind. 
Alas, alas, you are not hidden from me. I recognize you all too clearly, though I am blind. I know that voice so well. You have carried out such dreadful things. How could you dare to blind yourself this way? What god drove you to it? It was Apollo, friends. It was Apollo! He brought on these troubles, the awful things I suffer. But the hand which stabbed out my eyes was mine alone. In my wretched life, why should I have eyes when nothing I could see would bring me joy? What you have said is true enough. What is there for me to see, my friends? What can I love? Whose greeting can I hear and feel delight? Hurry now, my friends. Lead me away from Thebes. Take me somewhere. A man completely lost, utterly accursed. The mortal man the gods despise the most. Unhappy in your fate and in your mind, which now knows all. Would I had never known you. Whoever the man is who freed my feet, who released me from that cruel shackle and rescued me from death, may that man die. It was a thankless act. Had I perished then, I would not have brought such agony to myself or to my friends. I agree. I would have preferred your death as well. I would not have come to kill my father, and men would not see in me the husband of the woman who gave birth to me. Now I am abandoned by the gods, the son of a corrupted mother, conceiving children with the woman who gave me my own miserable life. If there is some suffering more serious than all the rest, then it, too, belongs in the fate of Oedipus. I do not believe what you did to yourself is for the best. Better to be dead than alive and blind. Don't tell me what I've done is not the best. And from now on, spare me your advice. If I could see, I don't know how my eyes could look at my own father when I come to Hades. Or could see my wretched mother against those two. I have committed acts so vile that even if I hanged myself, that would not be sufficient punishment. Perhaps you think the sight of my own children might give me joy. No. Look how they were born. They could never bring delight to eyes of mine. Nor could the city or its massive walls or the sacred images of its gods. I am the most abhorred of men. I, the finest one of all those bred in Thebes. I have condemned myself, telling everyone they had to banish for impiety the man the gods have now exposed as sacrilegious, a son of Laius too. With such polluting stains upon me, could I set eyes on you and hold your gaze? No, and if I could somehow block my ears and kill my hearing, I would not hold back. I'd make a dungeon of this wretched body so I would never see or hear again, for there is joy in isolated thought sealed off from a world of sorrow. Oh, Sathiron, why did you shelter me?
Why, when I was handed over to you, did you not do away with me at once, so I would never then reveal to men the nature of my birth? Apollobus and Corinth, the place men called my home, my father's ancient house. You raised me well, so fine to look at, so corrupt inside. Now I've been exposed as something bad, contaminated in my origins. Oh, you three roads and hidden forest grove, you thicket and defile where three paths meet, you who swallowed down my father's blood from my own hands. Do you remember me? What I did there in front of you, and then what else I did when I came here to Thebes? Ah, oh, you marriage rites! You gave birth to me, and then when I was born, you gave birth again. Children from the child of that same womb, creating an incestuous blood family of fathers, brothers, children, brides, wives, and mothers, the most atrocious act that human beings commit. But it is wrong to talk about what it is wrong to do. So in the name of all the gods, act quickly. Hide me somewhere outside the land of Thebes, or slaughter me, or hurl me in the sea where you will never gaze on me again. Come! Allow yourself to touch a wretched man! Listen to me, and do not be afraid. For this disease infects no one but me. Creon is coming. He is just in time to plan and carry out what you propose. With you gone, he's the only one who's left to act as guardian of Thebes. Alas, how will I talk to him? How can I ask him to put his trust in me? Not long ago, I treated him with such contempt. Oedipus, I have not come here to mock or blame you for disasters in the past. But if you can no longer value human beings, at least respect our lord the sun, whose light makes all things grow. And do not put on show pollution of this kind in such a public way, for neither earth nor light nor sacred rain can welcome such a sight. Take him inside the house, as quickly as you can. The kindest thing would be for members of his family to be the only ones to see and hear him. By all the gods... Since you are acting now so differently from what I would expect, and have come here to treat me graciously, the very worst of men, do what I ask. I will speak for your own benefit, not mine. What are you so keen to get from me? Cast me out as quickly as you can, away from Thebes, to a place where no one, no living human being will cross my path. That is something I could do, of course. But first I wish to know what the god says about what I should do. But what he said was also clear. The man who killed his father must be destroyed, and that corrupted man is me. Yes, that is what was said. But now with things the way they are, the wisest thing is to ascertain quite clearly what to do. Will you then be making a request on my behalf, when I am so depraved? I will. For even you must now trust in the gods. Yes, I do. And I have a task for you as I make this plea. That woman in the house, please bury her as you see fit. You are the one to give your own the proper funeral rites. 
But never let my father's city be condemned to have me living here while I still live. Let me make my home up in the mountains by Sathiron, whose fame is now my own. When my father and mother were alive, they chose it as my special burying place. And thus, when I die, I'll be following the orders of the ones who tried to kill me. And yet I know this much. No disease or any other suffering can kill me. For I would never have been saved from death unless I was to suffer a strange destiny. But wherever my fate leads, just let it go. As for my two sons, Creon, there's no need for you to care for them on my behalf. They are men. Thus, no matter where they are, they'll always have enough to live on. But my two poor daughters have never known my dining table placed away from them or lacked their father's presence. They shared everything I touched. That's how it's always been. So take care of them for me. But first, let me feel them with my hands and then I'll grieve. Oh, my lord, you noble heart, let me do that. If my hands could touch them, it would seem as if I were with them when I still could see. What's this? By all the gods, I hear something. Is it my two dear children crying? Has Creon taken pity on me and sent out the children, my dear treasures? Is that what's happening? Yes, I sent for them. I know the joy they've always given you, the joy which you feel now. I wish you well, and for this act, may the god watch over you and treat you better than he treated me. Are my children, where are you? Come here, come into my arms. You are my sisters now. Feel these hands which turned your father's eyes once so bright into what you see now, these empty sockets. He was a man who, seeing nothing, knowing nothing, fathered you with the woman who had given birth to him. I weep for you. Although I cannot see, I think about your life in days to come, the bitter life which men will force on you, what citizens will associate with you, what feasts will you attend and not come home in tears with no share in the rejoicing? When you're mature enough for marriage, who will be there for you, my children? What husband ready to assume the shame, tainting my children and their children too? What perversion is not manifest in us? Your father killed his father and then plowed his mother's womb where he himself was born, conceiving you where he too was conceived. Those are the insults they will hurl at you. Who then will marry you? No one, my children. You must wither, barren and unmarried. Son of Menesius, with both parents gone, you alone remain these children's father. Do not let them live as vagrant paupers wandering around unmarried. You are a relative of theirs. Don't let them sink to lives of desperation like my own. Have pity. You see them now at their young age, deprived of everything, except a share in what you are. Promise me, you noble soul, you will extend your hand to them. And you, my children, if your minds were now mature, there's so much I could say. But I urge you, pray that you may live as best you can and lead your destined life more happily than your own father. You have grieved enough. 
Now go into the house. I must obey, although that's not what I desire. In due time, all things will work out for the best. I will go, but you know there are conditions. Tell me. Once I hear them, I'll know what they are. Send me away to live outside of Thebes. Only the god can give you what you ask. But I've become abhorrent to the gods. Then you should quickly get what you desire. So you agree? I don't like to speak thoughtlessly and say what I don't mean. Come then. Lead me off. All right. But let go of the children. No. No! Do not take them away from me! Don't seek to be master in everything. Your life has lost the power you once had. You residents of Thebes, our native land, look on this man, this Oedipus, the one who understood that celebrated riddle. He was the most powerful of men. All citizens who witnessed this man's wealth were envious. Now what a surging tide of terrible disaster sweeps around him. So while we wait to see that final day, we cannot call a mortal being happy before he's passed beyond life, free from pain. You have been listening to Act 3 of Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Oedipus the King by Sophocles, translated by Ian Johnston, featuring Tim Greer as Oedipus, Kenan Keplinger as Creon, Andy Saunders as the Messenger, Jane Harris as the Servant, Adam Del Conte as the Second Messenger, and Bill Andrews and Jennifer Henry as the Chorus. Music by Jonathan Saunders. Dramaturgy and Script Consulting by David Sick. Assistant produced by James Antoine. Produced by Eric Sefton. Assistant directed by Amy Salerno Hale. All right, and I hope you enjoyed directed the conclusion. by Robert um, Watch your eyeballs, though. <laughs> Chatterbox Theater, theaterer.org. Uh, you can find plenty more plays there. Um, Chatterbox has been one of our biggest supporters, um, letting us play their material and continuing to innovate and produce new material over the years. Uh, really excited what Barb Arnold and his team is doing down there in uh, Tennessee. Thank you, Bob, for letting us play this show. Um, next week, Changing of the Guard, a um, bunch of new material that I've learned about. Uh, really excited to share with you. Uh, we finally are going to hear Leviathan Chronicles is coming back, uh, season two. So we hope to be able to feature at least some teasers from that um, going to be both a, a paid version which you can download the whole set when it comes out as well as the episodic podcast get you re-energized for that and then we've got some new 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 stuff um, <laughs> okay first off if you have submitted your sh- work to this show and wonder why you never heard from me I apologize it has just been um, lost in transmission we've gone through almost a hundred entries that accumulated almost the last year um, and we are going to be injecting the Radio Drama Revival podcast stream with the best of those um and actually, now that I realize there's so much independent work out there, I may be building something onto the Radio Drama Revival website um, as sort of a fan, uh, not quite as elaborate as a forum, but some sort of place where you can just post your shows and discover new shows um, that I just don't have the physical bandwidth to put here on the podcast. We only do one show each week, um, and we have a pretty high bar, so a lot of introductory first productions don't fit what we're looking for here but you as a listener may want to explore more and that's what we're going to give you um, and producers place to share your stuff there 
um, more details as they come available. Um, and in the meantime, over 250 hours of material at radiodramarevival.com. You can search us on Twitter at Radiodrama, um, Facebook, Radiodrama Revival. Um, on both Stitcher and the iTunes Store, search Radiodrama. And do please uh, share with your friends, leave a review, tweet, Facebook, uh, whatever. Do what you can to get the word out or give us a cash donation at radiodramarevival.com, whatever is uh, your your contribution to keep this podcast going. Very much appreciate that. And with that, it's a wrap for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Brad Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains that are original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, that is Southern Maine's community radio. This podcast at radiodramarevival.com is labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.